Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that were at Geba, And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots. And 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul... He was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. A little bit of review. 1 Samuel 12, you'll remember, ends... Let me say something first before we get into this. Here we are back in the Word of God again. It's wonderfully repetitive, the, the Christian life, isn't it? Always coming back to this book. Always coming back to the Word of God. Hopefully every day. Hopefully, if not every day, every other day. 
hopefully if not every other day, every seventh day, right? As we come together uh, as, as a church. But repetition, always coming back to this, this word, this inspired word. And so here we are again, ending the Lord's day in his word. So 1 Samuel 12 ends with warning uh, about uh, warning for the people to and the and the king to follow the Lord, and now we begin to see Saul's falling away. We get, begin to see Saul's disobedience and him not heeding the word of the prophet, not heeding what is what was said to him by the prophet Samuel. Um, you remember at the end, 12.25, it says, But if you do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Swept away. And so the, the prophet has given uh, commands to Samuel, and, or to Saul, and now Saul is going his own way. Now there's battle with the Philistines. Uh, notice this, that... Um, the son of Saul is old enough to be leading in battle now. So Jonathan is out doing, uh, doing the hard work of leading the uh, forces, leads them into battle, and then um, Jonathan takes this garrison of the Philistines. Of course, then the victory is attributed to Saul, which we would expect um, because any victory of of the military is attributed to those who command the military, and uh, and so Saul is uh, given given the uh, the accolades for this, and yet what does it do? The end result of this this taking of the garrison of the Philistines is that it stirs up the Philistines, right? And so. Jonathan hits them, and then the Philistines gather together a massive force. It says 30,000 chariots, which is just overbearing power. And then 6,000 horsemen on top of that. And then, and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What's that phrase? Where have we heard that phrase before? To Abraham, yeah. Israel's supposed to be a people like numerous as the sand which is on the seashore. And now those coming against Israel, a force of 3,000 that Saul has put together, 3,000, and the, the the enemies of God are now seen are call, are said to number like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. That's supposed to describe Israel. Now, what is the response this time of Israel of the people of God? They see this massive force. Uh, I mean. Just back in chapter 11, the force of the Israelites was 300,000 and 30,000 from Judah. 
Now he's gathered together 3,000. There seems to be some weakness to generosity in the kingdom already. But what is their response? They're dis- disheartened, aren't they? Um, they, they, are, they hide. And isn't it interesting how it describes their hiding? They hid themselves not just in one thing, not just in another thing, but it goes through the list of things they hid themselves in, in caves and thickets and cliffs, in cellars and in pits. I mean, they're hiding anywhere they can find that gives them some cover. And so they're hiding, they're cowering, they're, they're, um, they're despondent, they uh, don't know what to do in the face of such force. Now, Saul's among them, and Saul, now, now we cover Saul's sin. We cover the beginning part of his, his apostasy, his um, setting himself up against the, the Lord. Samuel had told Saul to do what? To wait seven days, and he would come to Gilgal, and at that point they would offer offerings to the Lord before the battle. That's the word of the Lord from the prophet to Saul. Wait seven days and I will come. Well, they're waiting and they're becoming more and more disheartened, right? The people, the troops are beginning to flee. They're beginning to abandon um, Saul Uh, Later in the passage, Saul is left with 600. That's where it ends. There's 600 men. So of the 3,000, a significant number are fleeing because of the the fear that they, they have succumbed to. And so we need to focus on what Saul then does in response. Now he, verse 8, now he waited seven days. So here he is. He's been told to wait. It's the seventh day. Everybody's abandoning him. You got to put yourself in his shoes. You got to feel his anxieties here. If I wait any longer, I will have no men. If I wait any longer, everybody's going to bury themselves in whatever hole they can find. I've got to move. I've got to act. I've got to be courageous and lead this thing. And so, so that he, so he calls for the offerings to be brought to him. The burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offers up the burnt offering. The king was not to offer the offerings. The, the priests were to offer the offerings, Right? It was their territory, it was their ground, it was, it was the command of the Lord. And so the king is taking, taking authority, doing, doing an authoritative act that doesn't, doesn't belong to him. He should have waited, or he should have gone to battle. But he should not have done what he did which is to offer the offerings. Now, it's an understandable sin because, I mean, the circumstances are crumbling around him, right? It's an understandable sin. 
It's a little thing, right, because his heart is right. It's a little thing. Um, his heart is in the right place. He's a man in charge, and he's, he's, he's got to move forward. Well, those may be some of the ways that we convince ourselves to go against the Word of God. My circumstances, my heart's right, things like that. Um, have you ever used crumbling, difficult circumstances to justify your sin? Of course you have. We all have. Right? This is chaos. I'm going to get drunk. Right? I can't handle what's going on around me. Uh, You know, I mean, this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and then I got in a car wreck at the end of the day. I mean, I do not have to be obedient now. Give me a break. You know? Give me a break. Have you ever used... On the other hand, have you ever used heartfelt emotions as justification for your sin? My heart's in the right place. My motives, you know, they may be mixed, but they're not completely evil. Um, feeling passionately about something, giving yourself over to it. Um, anger, there is such a thing as righteous anger, right? Right? And my anger is always righteous. No. Um, but but we, we justify the ways that we go against the commands of God this way. Um, how many times has poverty caused somebody to steal? Right? Poverty causes people to steal. That's circumstances. God can't expect obedience from me because... These circumstances are too difficult. Does he expect me to starve? Um, How many times have you called your lack of zeal for God humility? How many times have you called your lack of zeal for God modesty? Or, Or giving people time? To process at their own speed. Compassion, right? Your lack of zeal. You're scared out of your wits to share the gospel. So emotionally, you're given over to this fear. And yet you, you say, I've got to give people space. Or, you know, I don't want to intimidate people. Or, and really, it's just you lack zeal in your witness. Or we lack zeal in our witness. Now look at Saul's excuses. Look at Saul's excuses. Samuel goes, so he offers the burnt offerings. He shouldn't have done that. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offerings, behold, Samuel came. Samuel went out to meet him and greet him. So he hasn't even gotten to the peace offerings, right? He was going to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. He gets to the burnt offerings. He gets to that point and Samuel shows up. Is this the seventh day? We're not quite sure. I mean, it still could be in the time period where where he was supposed to be waiting. But he offers the burnt offering. Samuel shows up. Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul said, immediately, where does he go? Because this, and because that, and because this, and because that, and because this, and because of that, I then forced myself to offer the offerings. So first the excuses. Because I saw that the people were scattering from me. 
And that one hits you, doesn't it? He's in dire circumstances. He's had victory. He's led the people into victory already. But he, he sees that these, these odds are insurmountable. And now people are leaving him. Right? And so that's the first thing he says. I saw the people were scattering from me. Give me a break. And that's you did not come within the appointed days. I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited some more. And you didn't come. It's your fault, Samuel. Look at the circumstances and then you need to own this, Samuel. You didn't come. You are not a man of your word. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Again, those circumstances around him. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. Those are the heartfelt emotions, right? That's him giving to the prophet another excuse. Right? I, I hadn't offered offerings to the Lord. I, haven't in, I hadn't entreated the Lord as if he couldn't do what the king was commanded to do, which was to pray. Instead, he has to do what he's forbidden to do, which is to offer those offerings. And so, uh, I have not asked the favor of the Lord. I'm going to do this thing that I can't do because, hmm, got to have the favor of the Lord. So, and then these words, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, What other excuse makers does this remind you of in Scripture? Well, there's Adam. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. There's Adam. There's Aaron. The sacrifice, the, the, the golden calf. Look, uh, I mean, what did you expect me to do? The people were unruly and they brought me this gold into the fire and out came this calf. Uh, making excuses, excuse making for disobedience. Those, um, those three things are often our excuses. Dire, I mean, think about this. Think about our own excuse-making, dire circumstances, heartfelt emotion, and other people. <laughs> that pretty much covers all of them. My circumstances, what I feel, and what other people have forced me to do. Which could fit into circumstances. So you can almost boil it down to my circumstances, my emotions. I mean, if you examine yourself and the excuses, children, that you made to your parents, why you disobeyed them, isn't it always that you come up with, with something along those lines? Right, Ruth? Yeah. yeah. Happily affirmed by Ruth Dion. Dire circumstances. You just, I mean, put yourself in my shoes. Put yourself in my shoes. I mean, what do you expect of me? Um, One of the commentators I was reading said this of Samuel. He, 
he was reflecting on leadership, and he says every leader sins, but those leaders who refuse to accept responsibility for sin and turn from it will find that they have nothing left to lead. Right? Those leaders who refuse to accept responsibility. Now think of these words of Saul. So we've looked at his his excuses. Saul then says, so I forced myself and offered that and offered these offerings right that again is is justifying language that again is Saul saying look I didn't want to do it but I had to do it I knew it was wrong but I was just gonna you know just give me a break I, I had to force myself to do this it's not like I wanted to do this. I had to force myself to do this. Again, it's, it's excuse-making. But, um, I mean, this is every... Uh, uh, this is like when, when one of my children gets busted by me. You know, and it's so clear that they've done something. And, um, I mean, they will begin, and, and this is the ultimate excuse. Well, I didn't want to do it. You know, they got, they've gone through the dire circumstances, like, you know, my brother was doing this to me, and that's why I did it to him. And then they go through the emotions, but I was angry, right, to try and justify it, as if that's not adding sin to sin, Right? And then, you know, well, he did something to me. Other people forced me to it. And then finally it's like, well, I didn't want to. Going through all the same excuses that Saul went through. Um, I didn't want to hit my sister in the face. I didn't want to commit adultery. I didn't want to embezzle money from my company. It's all lies. It's not true. Saul did not force himself to do this. Saul did what he desired to do, which is to usurp authority from the priest, do something that God had told him to wait on, and go forward with it and bring it to completion. He's lying. He did not force himself to do it. Um... You think of uh, James chapter 1. We'll get there in a minute. I knew it was wrong, but consider the alternatives, Samuel. Consider the alternative. No sacrifices before a battle. Again, he's playing to the emotions of Samuel. Can you believe, could, could we go into battle without making sacrifices? I knew it was wrong, but, you know, I forced myself to. So what does it all boil down to here? What is, what is, what is this first sin of Saul all boiled down to? Uh, Saul did not exercise faith by waiting on the Lord. He didn't exercise faith by waiting on the Lord. He instead decided to act based upon something other than the Word of God. 
He decided to act based upon his circumstances. He decided to act based upon what he felt rather than upon the word of God. Now, okay, let's get real. That is a common experience for us, is it not? That is every time we sin. Disregard the word of God, base our actions upon what we feel and what surrounds us. So Saul did not exercise faith by waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait till he provides. He took matters into his own hands and when confronted... This is the other thing. When confronted, what does he do? He makes excuses and defends himself and tries to justify his actions. He's acting foolishly. He's acting foolishly. What should he have done? Well, he should have responded as David responded to the word of the Lord and the prophet. King David, the next king. The adulterous and, and bloodthirsty king, David prophet comes to him and says you're the man and he's he acknowledges that the prophet is right and he repents Saul makes excuses he offers up his excuses now Samuel and so I mean I don't have to make explicit the application of that right God desires us to repent when the word of the Lord convicts us. He expects us to repent. Not to offer up excuses. Children, think of that. What your parents want to see of you is repentance when you do wrong. They'll be much they'll be they'll be happy. You may find that your discipline is light if you own up to your sins rather than make excuses. And that's true for all of us. We may find that the discipline of the Lord is light if we truly grieve and acknowledge that we have sinned, and hopefully that acknowledgement and that confession leads to the process of repentance falling out in our lives. Samuel responds. God desires a man after his own heart. Thereby defining Saul as a man who who doesn't who isn't like that. God um, and notice in those verses you've acted foolishly, you've not connected kept the commandment of the Lord which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever but now your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man for uh, sought out for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people that appointment has happened right the kingdom has been taken away from Saul in in a sense now He has been appointed. Saul's kingdom will not endure. And then Samuel leaves Saul and the army is now down to 600 men. And so it seems that Saul offering the sacrifices had no good effect. More fleed. The opposite effects, perhaps. 
So to conclude, what should Saul have done? Once again, just to state the obvious, what should Saul have done? What had he received? He had received the word of God through the prophet. What should he have done? Well, he should have James 1, 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. That was Saul. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You look at yourself, you see that your eyes are blue, your hair is a certain way, you turn away and you immediately forget what you looked like. Such is the man who hears the word of God and then immediately turns against it, like Saul did. Saul should have Matthew seven twenty four through should have behaved as Jesus teaches in Matthew seven twenty four to twenty seven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's almost as if Jesus is speaking of Saul. His house fell. It was swept away. It would not endure. And Samuel says to him, you acted foolishly, which is exactly what Jesus says of the man who hears the word of God and does not act on it. We play the fool when we hear almighty, all compassionate God give us a word and then go against it. We play the fool. And it will not go well for us. God intends your good when he directs you in his word. Do you believe that? God intends what's good for you and what is pleasing to him. And what he directs you in his word. All those things about everything. (laughs) All those commands from beginning to end. All those things. And you will at times be enticed and carried away by your own lusts. But do not make excuses and justify your rebellion. Repent as the man after God's own heart did, quickly, thoroughly, and in response to the word of God calling him to repentance. Right? Be quick to obey that word, that word of repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that what you have written is for our good. And when we go against what you have written, we are being foolish. Father, we thank you that you have given us the example of Saul. And Father, we see so much of our behavior that imitates his excuse making. And Father, we we are sorry for that. And we know that it is sin. 
And Father, we ask that you would grant to us repentance and your spirit that we may walk in newness of life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.